What a shopping list, huh? How many of you are looking for some hides of rams and fine linens and goat hair? Anybody got any goat hair back at your house? No? One goat hair hanging out there. Uh, I'm sure you're listening to Cabin read this and wondering where are we going? What are we talking about? We are continuing our uh, series looking at uh, the Israelites wandering the desert from slavery to promised land, relating to the various themes that we hit, learning how to follow leaders, learning how to deal with our fears, taking control, forgetting what God has done. All of these various themes, we can find ourselves kind of walking in their sandals through our own deserts. And today we're talking about generosity. So buckle up, we're talking about money in church. So it's as awkward as you want to make it. Uh, last week we were talking about following your leaders. That was probably awkward. Uh, today we're going to talk about money. So yay, everybody. Uh, so if you'd like to leave and just watch us online, go ahead, because we're on the live stream now, right? Yes? Do we just lose them all? Just wave, just smile and nod. All right. I'm just kidding. Uh, I do want to th thank Tyler and all the volunteers that helped get our live stream up and running over the last couple of weeks. It's a lot of tireless connections and technology and all of that, but uh, a huge step for us. So can we just give a round of applause <laughs> to Tyler and all the volunteers making that possible, uh, and we're excited to be able to do this. So, uh, and, and yeah, it's good. So as we talk about generosity, what we see the Israelites living out in the desert is this idea that they choose generosity in the desert, in a time of scarcity. And when you and I are going through a desert season or a time of scarcity, what is our reaction to do with our resources? Clench, tighten up the purse strings, right? That's what we want to do. We, we get a little more frugal. We start cutting a, a few more coupons. We just start looking for more deals. We're just, I don't know if I want to spend on that. We work our budget. We, we tighten things up. Uh, here's a stat that I found interesting, and, and I think it just shows the, our, our, our propensity to do this. Uh, of the stimulus checks handed out over the last year, right? That was very nice to get those in my bank account. I enjoyed that. What is the percentage? This is where you get to guess. What percent actually spent their stimulus check versus the percent that saved or paid down debt, which I see those as very similar because you're getting out of debt. So the percentage of actually spending it versus saving it or paying down debt. What do you think the percentage is? How, what is the percent that actually spent their stimulus check? What do you think? What's the percentage? Just yell it out. 65% spent it. 90? 55? 10%? 40%? What? 70? Still haven't heard it. Huh? 95 spent it? 15, 12. No, 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 no. It is 25 to 30% actually spent theirs. Only 25 to 30% actually spent their stimulus check. 70 to 75% saved it or paid down debt. Now, I am not judging you if you did that, right? Uh, we did that. <laughs> we paid off our van and banked it uh, because we could at that time. But I think what it shows, a stat like that shows, is in a time of uncertainty where unemployment is going through the roof, where uh, we are in an economic wandering, if you will, or desert time and uncertainty, what do people do? Save. Even when they gave us free money, we saved and, and, and banked it because we don't know what's coming. And it's almost this act of control, but yes, also self-preservation. I don't know what's coming around that corner. I got to be prepared. And this little bit that I got I, might help me because I don't know what's coming. And so we save these things. And yet, 
When we look at the Israelites, they're in a desert time, and what's their response? Generosity. They're generous with what they have. And we see this in verse 21 that Cabin read. It said, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings of all the work, for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Think about that. All of them who were willing brought free will offerings. There's no, there's no co- uh, coercion, manipulation. There's no guilt. There's no ritual here. You know, when we talk about money in church, sometimes it just feels like condemnation or I'm trying to get coercive here. No, that's not it. There's a joy. There's a, a, a willingness to give back to God what they have. And you look at the extent of their generosity, you see this in the next chapter, in chapter 36. If you kept reading after that nice Amazon wish list that God laid out for them, right? In chapter 36, it says this, and the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. Every morning they brought this. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. Now, this is a text that no pastor wants to preach because people were giving and giving and giving, and Moses literally has to go in front and say, stop it, stop giving, we're not passing the bucket anymore, right? Have you ever heard a pastor say that in church? No, you've never heard a pastor preach this text and say, we're done, we don't need your money, keep it, right? The reality is, is what this shows is such a crazy generosity that each morning they're coming to Moses with, jewelry and wood and linens and goat hair and all of these things. And what's happening? They've got more than enough. More than enough than what they need. And I think it shows the joy and the willingness and and, and there's no pressure here. But there's an abundance of what's taken place. And, And what we can learn from them is this idea of being generous in our desert seasons. You and I might feel like we're in desert seasons at times, and to look at it, and this is not a time to tighten things up and to cling to our life, but rather to learn how do we be generous, and we've got to look at it through a new lens. Look at the word generosity not as a bad word and not as a word of manipulation or guilt or legalism or condemnation or a fear of lack. Oh, I don't know if I can give because what if I don't have? Or I, I, Okay, I'm going to look at generosity, but what am I getting in return? You know, God's not the stock market. Like, it's not a return on investment. We can't look at it that way. But it's looking at it through this new lens to be a generous people, whether we're in a desert or when we're in paradise. And what we learn is this statement, and this is going to be kind of our our talking point for the day. Learning to be generous with all within our grasp so that the gospel is within the grasp of all. Let me say that again because it's a bit of a tongue twister, but it sounds cool because we mix the words around, right? Right? You know you like it. To be generous with all within our grasp so that the gospel is within the grasp of all. That's what we're going to talk about today in terms of being generous. Being generous with all, everything. Not just a percentage. There's no talk of percentages today. We're not talking about minimums, maximums, whatever. It's none of that. It's everything. Everything within our grasp. Everything we own, everything we have, everything we possess. And here's the reason why. So the gospel the good news of Jesus, the message that God is with you and he loves you and he has chosen you, that that message is within the grasp, the reach, the possession of all people. That is why we give. That is why we are to be generous. And I think as we grasp this idea, see what I did there? As we grasp this idea and integrate it, I think it will change the way we look at our stuff. I think it changes the way we look at generosity. 
And it helps us develop motivations to be generous people in deserts or in paradise. So let's talk about that first part. Generous with all within our grasp. We see the Israelites do this in verse 5. It says, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Notice that, from what you have. He's saying, be generous with what you got, right? Then what do they have? What do these people wandering the desert have? They got stuff. They got linens, they got dyes, they got strings, they got wood, they've got animals, they've got all these things. They've got jewelry, all these materials, right? But think about where they got these materials. They're wandering the desert. They didn't just stop by Target and pick some stuff up along the way. All of the stuff that they have, where did it come from? came from Egypt, came from their time in slavery. So it's either something that while they were in slavery, huddled up as a family, this may have been a bracelet or a necklace or some earrings that were passed down from generation to generation, and they somehow hid it for generation after generation and were able to hold on to these things. But now they're carrying it into the desert. Or these are things that they've kind of pillaged as they took out of Egypt. As you read in Exodus, they take a lot of materials on their way out. And the Egyptians are like, get out of here. You're killing everything. Take it. I don't care. Here's, the, you know, here's our goat hair. Take it. Right? And they're just taking stuff as they're leaving. So there's these other items that they've got with them. But all of it is to be a sacrifice for God. All of it is on the table, if you will. It's stuff that they own. But if you think about what is within our grasp, there's some elements of that sacrifice. One, that sacrifice becomes very valuable because it is things that you own. We're not talking about things that you will own. We're talking about things that you do own. And when there's things that you do own, they are finite. They are limited. The people in the desert, you talk about the goat hair and the, the hides and the dyes and the whatever that they were, they were possessing. That was a finite stock. They couldn't just order more on Amazon, Right? Sometimes we want to be generous, but it's like, well, I'll do it, but it's because I know I'm upgrading. You ever think that way? I think that way. Sure, I'll give this couch to the church. The youth group can sit on it because I've got a new couch, right? It's amazing how many youth groups get couches from churches. But we kind of think that way, like, oh, I'll just give this because they can use my extra. No, this is a finite thing. This is I'm giving this jewelry. It is going to be melted down, turned into a lampstand. Moses is going to use it in the tent of meeting. I'm never going to see it again, but it's going to be used in that way, and I don't get to go to Target and buy a new one. I'm giving it away. It's valuable. Think about the value when Moses is saying this. It is not just monetary value. There is a sentimentality to it or, or, or a, a personal value and attachment to these things. It is an active sacrifice because he's saying, what do you have today? Give what you have today, not what you'll have in paradise, but what do you have now? And I, I think this is important because now in our desert time, we need to recognize we, we've been given a lot. We have a lot to offer. Let's not skip over that and think, well, when I have more, when I have a promotion, when I've got more margin, when I've got more disposable income, when I've got more to give, then I'll be generous. No, Moses is saying what you have. Give what you have. What do you own right now? What is in your possession? What is within your grasp now? And, and I think the idea here is if we can learn to be generous in the desert, we will learn to be generous in paradise. But if we can't learn to be generous in the desert and we cling to these things now, why do I think I'm going to be generous when I have more? I'm just going to increase the size of my grasp. 
I'm not going to let those things go. The third part that I see in this sacrifice is it's a very personal sacrifice. It's what you own. It's not, Moses doesn't say, like, hey, go around and pillage your neighbor in encampment and see what they have. There's no comparison. There's no you know, competition or anything. It's just looking at what you have. It says in the text that they all heard Moses say this and did what? They walked away, right? They weren't mad at him. They just went to take an inventory of their camp, and they walked over and looked, oh, this is what we got, this is what we got, this is what we don't have, and they looked at it. It was very personal. This is what I have to bring to the table. I think it's very valuable in that, and it's a sacrifice because it's what you own. It's really easy to be generous with somebody else's money, isn't it? No? Yes, it is, right? I love taking people to lunch when I'm not paying. When I get somebody else's credit card, sure, let's do apps, right? Let's do drinks. Let's do dessert. Who else? Does that table over there want to eat? Let's charge their meal to ours, right? It's so easy to be generous when I'm not footing the bill. But what it teaches you is to be generous with what you have. There is a cost to it. And that's what makes it a sacrifice. This idea of being generous with what you have also is seen in the New Testament. Not just Old Testament and all of that, but you see it in the New Testament. When Jesus feeds the multitudes, the fish and the loaves, right? 5,000, 4,000 people get fed, right? Where did the bread and fish come from? It's what they had. It's what was present in the moment. They didn't go to Costco and get a truckload of bread and fish. They just looked around. What do we have? Okay, well, let's take what we have and offer it. It was used for a miracle. When a woman anoints Jesus' body before his burial, uh, she pours perfume on him. It's this expensive, expensive perfume, and it's met with criticism because they could have sold it and yada, yada, yada. But you look at it, and the woman is giving what? Not a perfume that she stole, not a perfume that she just found. It was something that she owned, and she could have sold it. She could have made a fortune off of it, but instead she gave it to Jesus. She gave what she had. When Jesus dies and he's buried, Joseph of Arimathea is the man that buries Jesus' body, and he puts him in a tomb. And I read this recently, and it's what stood out to me. It was a tomb he already owned. Probably a tomb set for him. Like he was planning, planning ahead, got his plot ready to go. Like, that's where I'm going to, nope, I'm going to give what I have to honor my God. We're going to properly bury his body. Learning to be generous with all within our grasp. There's a clip out of the movie Schindler's List that we're going to show here in a second, and I think it captures this idea of the perspective change that takes place in our hearts. We learn to be generous with everything that we have and willing to put it on the table. And you see that depicted in this clip. If you haven't seen uh, Schindler's List, it's set during World War II, and this man helps over 1,100 Jews survived the Holocaust because of his works. And this climactic scene, you see him looking around and, and the perspective change of what he owns, that all within his grasp can be put on the table to help people. Let's take a look at this clip. Money. 
I threw away so much money. You have no idea. If I just... Generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. You did so much. This car. Good, what about this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. Gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for at least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person who's there. For this. I could have got one more person. And I didn't. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> I think this this clip, um, boy, it just gives you all the feels, doesn't it? Some of you are just like, okay, thanks, Sean. Really appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> but just a powerful illustration of this idea of our perspective change that happens towards our stuff. He views his car as, as possibly 10 people, his pin as one, two people possible here. But it's this idea of being generous with all within our grasp. And when that perspective change happens, we begin to view our stuff differently. And I think what that clip does too is it helps us pivot towards the rest of what we're talking about in our discussion today, which is that we are generous with all within our grasp, so the gospel is within the grasp of all. The why matters. We have to answer the why we're being generous. And I think that this statement helps us get there, is that so the gospel is within the grasp of all. We aren't generous for any other reason. Not for our, our tax returns. We're not uh, for our, our giving statements, for what we get in return. We're not doing it out of legalism or out of routine or what we're going to get from God or anything like that. We're not doing it out of coercion or manipulation. We're doing it for the gospel to be spread. For the gospel to continue to be within the grasp of all people. And we see this embodied here in this passage with, with the uh, Israelites in the desert because think about what they're giving towards. All this jewelry and wood and linen and all of it, what is it doing? It, it's going towards this ability to see God's presence with them wherever they go. Up until this point, Moses and, and God would meet on the mountain. They would go up the mountain, and it was just the two of them, and they would convene together and meet together and be there. And, but they weren't going to stay at the mountain, were they? Where were they headed? They were headed to the promised land. So Moses 
had to be able to leave the mountain. You imagine Moses, like, have to, every time he needs to talk to God, would have to go back to the mountain. And so they needed a meeting place. They needed a way to meet and dwell together, Moses and God and, and the priests, and, and being able to commune with God. And so they created this portable mobile system to be able to do that. And that's the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the ark, all those really detailed parts of your Old Testament Bible that you just flip through, right? Because they're like, who cares? It's a blueprint for a lampstand. Let's go, right? Well, God is creating order out of chaos. He is detailing instructions to say, I want to meet with you. You are my people. I am with you. And so it's more than just a tent. It's kind of like when uh, this intentionality, it's kind of like once uh, this fall we realized that our kids weren't going back to school to learn. They were going to be doing in-home on Chromebook learning via Zoom. When it first when we first did home learning, that was a whirlwind. Uh, we just like set up tables and, you know, we were just like, okay, there's a pop-up table. Oh, there's the dining room. Oh, go sit in your bed and go zoom from there. Whatever, you know, we just like figure it out. Like everybody was just trying to like build a boat in the middle of the ocean at the same time, right? We were all just trying to do this and learn to swim. Uh, we didn't sign up for homeschooling, so we were thrown into it. And I remember... Uh, once we knew in September, like, no, they're not going back into the building, we, what did we do? We created an intentional school space. This is the space where you're going to be at school even though you're at home. And so we, like, cleared all this junk out of there. I painted and patched up the holes in the wall. Uh, we bought desks, chairs, extension cords, little pencil cup holders, all this stuff, right? Because we wanted them, when they walked in, I even bought, like, a multiplication table poster and a solar system. I mean, I got all in, all in on it. My Amazon list went way up. <clears throat> but we wanted them, when they walked into that, that school, no longer we're going to go to the dining room or the bedroom or the basement or outside. Like, that's where you go to school is there, even though it's on a Chromebook. God's doing the same thing with them. We're going to wander the desert here until we get to the promised land, but we need an intentional meeting space. And in order to do that, we need some supplies. But they're building more than just a tent. Building more than lampstands and an Ark of the Covenant and all of this. What are they building? They're building a physical representation of God's promise. I will be with you. They're building a, a physical embodiment of His truth and His love and His promises so that they would see they are God's chosen people. Nobody else had God with them like that. Nobody else had God's promises and His truth evident and, and, and tangibly present like that. And so every time when they're giving to this, they are giving so that they can honor God, but also so that other people can see that God is with them. Think about that. When they're giving to this, it's so this guy over here can look at it and say, God has not abandoned us. I see God is with us, right? And this gal over here, God has chosen us. And this guy over here is looking at it, man, God loves us. They're seeing a tangible example of his promises and his love and his truth. It's more than a tent. It's more than lampstands. It's more than that. Just like when we give to the church, it is more than just carpet and technology and chairs. What we're doing and what we're giving to is for the gospel to spread. What we're doing is more than just meeting a tangible need or buying a practical item to go in a building or help somebody in need. What we're doing when we're generous, we're helping the gospel move into all parts of this community and across the globe. 
And that's what Paul gets at when he talks about generosity in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. You can read that this week. It's a good couple of chapters on generosity. And he's trying to challenge the early church to be generous. And this is what he talks about is what happens. When we are generous with all within our grasp, the gospel becomes within the grasp of all. Chapter 9, verse 12 through 13. Look at this text. It says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Just pause it. It's meeting needs. But what's happening? What's he saying? The service that you perform is not only meeting the needs of God's people, but also what? It's overflowing in what? Thankfulness. Because the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Now, it's very wordy. Paul tends to be kind of wordy. But what is he saying? There is a practical benefit to our generosity. People's needs are being met. That's great, right? When we give to missions, we give to local stuff, When you give to the church, you know it's going to meet practical, tangible needs. That is awesome stuff, right? We need to know that. But what you also see what Paul is saying is that because of that, those needs are being met, and those people having their needs met are praising not the person, they're praising God. People are seeing that you don't just say that you confess a, 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 a devotion to Jesus, right? They're seeing it's accompanied by action. You are making the gospel tangible when you are generous. When you are giving all within your grasp and you're putting all within your grasp on the table for God to use, what is happening? People are going to see that you don't just talk about loving Jesus, you show it. That you don't just give when it's convenient or when you have extra or when it's you know, easy. No, I give my life to this because the gospel's changed my life. The gospel means that Jesus gave it all for me and I'm willing to give it all for him. And when we do that, the gospel permeates, and it's tangible, and people see it, and lives are changed, because they see God cares for them. They see that God has chosen them. They see that God is showing up for them. Paul wants this for them, because he sees that the gospel is central to our lives, and it needs to be central to why we give. And he wants this for them, and in chapter 8, he talks out of this pastoral heart. You see, Paul was a pastor as well. He cared for them to grow as, as Christians, and he wants them to grow in their generosity. Uh, and he says this in verse 7 of chapter 8. He says, Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Giving is a grace, but it's an area to grow in. And Paul wants them to grow in the practice of generosity, not just in the practice of, right? He says, in, in faith, every pastor wants you to grow in your faith. I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to trust Jesus more. Amen? Do you want that for yourself? You want to grow in your faith? How many of you want to grow in your faith? Right? Good. All hands are going up. How many of you want to grow in your knowledge of God? Your understanding of that ancient book that you carry around with you, right? And who God is and all his mystery. You want to grow in that. How many of you want to grow in your speech? I want to be like Jesus in the way that I talk. Right? I want to be more like Jesus than a Scorsese movie. Yes? Those are rated R movies for those who don't know Scorsese. For a reason. I want you to grow in complete earnestness, zeal, passion. How many of you want to be excited about the things of God? 
I hope those hands still go up, right? That we're excited about what God is doing in our world and in our lives, right? I want, you, I want passion and excitement and zeal, and I want you to grow in your love for us. How many of us want to grow in our loving of our neighbor? Yes. But Paul says it's also important for us to grow in this grace of giving. Don't skip this. Don't miss this. It, it, right now, it's kind of funny. We're coaching Little League uh, with... I'm an assistant coach for our Little League team, and, and my daughter's playing. And, and as a coach, uh, we want them to grow in all aspects of the game, right? We want them to learn how to throw, how to hit, how to run, how to catch. We want them to learn the rules of the game. And when they can understand that, like, they learn to play the game, and they appreciate the game. They love the game, right? There goes my daughter. You can see the clip. There she is. Safe. Yes. Yeah, you can cheer for her, right? I'm a proud dad in that moment. That's good. That's the joy of assistant coaching. I can stand at first base and film her during the game. <clears throat> I would be a bad assistant coach if we just said, you know what, coach? I don't think we need to learn to catch. We can skip catching the ball. It's just going to roll to their feet anyways. Just teach them to pick it up. No, we want to learn them. We want to teach them to catch the ball, right? So they're not afraid of the ball. So they have this glove and they learn how to use it. Well, to skip one of these practices, Paul is saying it's like skipping learning how to catch. You're not a baseball player if you can run, hit, throw, get out, but can't catch the ball. You can play for the Mariners, but, you know. <laughs> you can't skip one of those things. Paul doesn't want them to skip one of those things. And right smack in the middle of this whole two chapters on generosity, Paul hits the gospel being right central to it. And this answers the why. If we can't answer the why of our generosity, we will get locked in on the wrong reasons. Guilt, routine, legalism, what we get in return. And I found it interesting in this verse that we're about to read, and we're, we're, we're landing the plane here. But as we read this, this verse... It would be so easy to just skip over this, but I, I realize Paul is putting this right in the middle of his giving talk for two chapters to the Corinthian church because the gospel is a message of generosity. Not always in money, but Jesus was generous to us. Look at what he says. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that through his poverty, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Paul is using this wealth, poverty, financial language to do what? To tell us Jesus left the riches of heaven to come where? The poverty of earth the depravity of earth, the brokenness of earth, to bring a path to our God so that you and I could be united with him. He traded my hell for his heaven. He swapped that. The riches of heaven for the poverty of earth. He was generous. He traded my chains for his crowns. He traded my sin for his life. That's a message of generosity. 
The gospel is generous. Jesus has been generous to us in all things. And so what that challenges us is we are to be generous in all things. We put the gospel at the center of this topic on generosity, and I think it changes our perspective. That's why, as funny as it is that Moses got up there and said, stop giving, stop giving, well, guess what? It's because the tabernacle was going to be done being built. They didn't need any more bracelets and yarn and ram's hair. But is the gospel ever done being spread? Is the gospel done? Are we done? Thank you. Yeah, that's the correct answer. We are not done sharing the gospel, so you will never hear me say, stop it. Not for what I get out of it, but the generosity of God's church funds the ministry so that the gospel can be within the reach of all, within the grasp of all. Being generous with all within our grasp so that the gospel is within the grasp of all. That mission hasn't stopped, and so we won't stop being generous, whether we're in a desert or in paradise. Let's pray. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.